The Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast is sponsored by Prairie Care. You know, going through the process of getting help with your mental health can be very overwhelming. I definitely know that from firsthand experience. Prairie Care can help guide you through it and get you in touch with the help that you need. They've been offering mental health services to all ages in the Twin Cities of Minnesota since 2005. Whether you're looking for clinical services, a specialty outpatient program, or a more intensive level of care like inpatient treatment, Prairie Care has you and your family covered. Visit prairie-care.com to learn more. That's prairie-care.com. Ileostomy surgery truly gave me my life back. Hello there, my friends, and a big welcome into another episode here of the Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast. Great to have you. Hope you're being gentle with yourself over there, whatever it is that you're maneuvering in this moment right here, right now. Holding space for it, and and so glad that you're here. This week on the podcast, I have one of my dear, dear friends joining me for a conversation that um, I was just so honored to have, and um, one that that I really, really hope, and I think there's um, going to be some things here in this conversation that whether you can directly relate to her experience or not, um, I think we're all going to take something away from it. My friend Anna who I have known for a very, very, very long time, and we'll get, we'll get into that here in the episode a little bit, um, is sharing today her journey with ulcerative colitis and an ileostomy surgery. And she shares so much about the path that she's been on Um, some of the really, really deep struggle that has come along with this path for her, um, and some of the really, really beautiful things that she's learning about herself, about life in general, and, um, and so much more. And I think too, for, for a lot of us, myself included, um, I have learned so much about what an ileostomy is, um, what it's like to live day to day after a surgery like that, um, and so much more. And, and she's um, educating all of us um, here today on these things, and not only the the physical experience of going through this, but also the mental and the emotional experience of it as well. So, so much love um, to my dear friend Anna. I'm honored so deeply uh, that she trusted. Um, all of us here in this podcast community to sit down and share this this um, this journey with all of us, and um, I hope that there's something that that you can take away from this that serves you moving forward. As always, my dear friends, uh, take what serves you, and and go ahead and leave the rest. So here we go, my chat with my my dear friend Anna. Are 
you ready to do this? I'm ready as I'm ever going to be. Okay. It's so fun to sit down with you. Thank you. Here we are. I know. Who would have thought that when we met, how many years ago? Oh my gosh. Okay, well, and date ourselves a little bit, but like we were 17. So, um, how how many years? I can't do math. I mean, it's almost 20 years actually. It was the summer before I was going into my senior year of high Mm -hmm. school, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess that would have been 2003. Isn't that amazing? So yeah, 20 years. And then here we are. I know. This many years later. I know. Sitting in Minneapolis recording a podcast together. Mm-hmm. Yep. Life is wild. Life is so wild. Yeah, a lot has a lot has happened in mm. between then and now. I know. I was thinking about how you're you're literally the first person that I ever came out to. Mm-hmm. Still feel so honored for that. Isn't that just wild? Over Facebook. Mm-hmm. Sending you a a Facebook message. Uh Oh, by the way, here, just want to tell you this. Yep. Yep. Which I totally printed out and put in my journal. (laughs) I love that. That's right. Yeah. Because we went back not that long ago and I think like Mm -hmm. we read that together. Yeah. I think it was like a few years ago when you moved through Colorado for a conference. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, I know there's a lot of things that we could talk about between, Mm -hmm. you know, the the time that we met and now, but um, I'm honored that you're you're sitting down and willing to kind of share this part of your journey with not only myself, but everybody here on the podcast. So thank you. Yeah, no, my pleasure. I'm really happy for an opportunity uh, to speak about it, you know, like uh, how cathartic it'll be for myself just to kind of share and speak through it probably in a way that I haven't. Um, And then again, the more I can raise awareness or expose folks to uh, the illness I had, chronic illness in general, invisible illness, and um, and the entire experience, I guess my hope is just yeah. help. Because you've, you've been able to share this with, like you were saying, work, mm-hmm. yeah. kind of in your work community, and so, and so you've, been, yeah. you've been pretty open about this, and like on social media. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. wrote a blog post um, about just how accepting my company's been, um, coming from that, you know, there's been, uh, we use Slack for asynchronous communication mm-hmm. and we have a Slack channel where we even have a little community of my coworkers of, uh, fellow invisible illness folks. So mm-hmm. other folks that have alternative colitis or Crohn's or other chronic conditions. Um, so yeah. it's really been kind of nice what's come out of that. Um, so I'm really, uh, excited for the opportunity to, to continue doing that. <clears throat> um, so to go back to when your story with ulcerative colitis started, when, what did that look like? Yeah. So, um, it was, I guess, technically December, 2016, I probably had started to have some, um, different kind of, uh, digestive discomfort you know I kind of always had a little bit of lactose intolerance um and uh you know maybe more a little more gassy than the typical person if there's even a way to assess that which is the best thing about you sharing your story with this we're just gonna like be real about this stuff right right we had this conversation (laughs) before we're like do we just go there it's like yes we are we're we're going there we're 100% going there yes um 
yeah, everybody farts. Um, that is true. So we but, all have that in common. <laughs> right. Let's just break the <laughs> ice right away. Um, yeah, meet someone. Hi, nice to meet you. I fart. Oh, me too. Cool. cool. We have something in common. We get along. All right. Wow. Amazing. Um, but uh, so there was that, but I didn't really think anything of it. Um, and then the next month in January was the first time I saw blood in my stool. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, folks don't know. I mean, technically everyone's supposed to really be checking out what their stool looks like. Yeah. It can tell you a lot about your health, but obviously if you have blood in your stool, you know, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, and it's not something to be ashamed of either. You know, I think some people are embarrassed and they don't seek treatment or seek help for it. But for me, I was like, mm-hmm, this isn't normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, went to my like just general health practitioner and was like, Hey, I've got blood on my stool. I've got some pain in my abdomen. Um, this is totally new to me. You know, what, what should we do? Yeah. Um, and she was pretty great that she actually referred me for a abdominal CT scan, um, based on that visit alone, which was kind of nice as I've, experience you know now sometimes you have to go through quite a bit of uh like steps in treatment protocols before insurance covers advanced imaging like that but um in this case i was fortunate enough to have insurance that would cover it so um so i went for that ct scan and that's where it showed the inflammation in my colon okay um so that was kind of the first time i had to kind of go oh well what could this mean yeah. You know, and as we all get results in our uh, EHR portals on our, you know, mobile apps, if you have my chart or any of those other things and you see the results and you start running off to like WebMD and you're like, what does inflammation in the yeah. colon mean? Yeah. Um, Cause still at this point, I didn't even know what ulcerative colitis was. Um, and, uh, and so my doctor was like, well, you know, with the inflammation, you'll need to see a GI specialist. Um, and you'll, uh, they'll likely want additional testing. Uh, and this is where the first like dreaded colonoscopy mm-hmm. came up for the first time, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I don't think most people in their early 30s are thinking about colonoscopies. Right. Right. Um, and so I went into the GI specialist and um, before they will uh, treat any kind of inflammation in the colon, uh, they'll typically do a, a test for um if you have like um, an infection of some kind, like an intestinal parasite, yeah. um, because if they treat that with steroids, it, will, it can actually exacerbate the infection. So the first thing they do before they put you on any kind of uh, medications, because prednisone is a common uh, treatment for inflammation all throughout the body, but mm-hmm. in the colon. Um, and so I took a, like a stool test. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, add on to the, uh, learning about your poop experience is yeah. uh having to do a an at-home stool collection of for yeah. yourself to, so here again i am my early early 30s uh wrapping my mind around you know yeah. this kind of whole thing um and going like okay great now i have to mail in a stool sample for testing yeah so that was an interesting experience uh but it actually came back positive uh, and I had a, um, I think it was called like entamoeba histolytica or something mm. like that, uh, infection. Um, and all I could think of was like, well, last month I had a salad at a restaurant, you know, did I, oh, pick, you know, cause it's, it's pretty common 
infection, but uh, it can also cause like no symptoms at all for a very long time. And so um, it still wasn't necessarily uh, like easy to pinpoint when I got it, but they're like, oh, okay, you know, we'll treat that. Um, and then we'd still like you to get the colonoscopy just in case because, you know, sure, your infection could have been causing your inflammation, but it could be something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted it to be something else. I really didn't want it to be. I mean, I didn't want it to be something else. Um, I wanted it to be just the infection. Yeah. I didn't want to think like, okay, this is something bigger than that. Yeah. So when my symptoms kind of improved after, you know, treating the infection, um, and, uh, and also I didn't understand, uh, the cost of the colonoscopy either. Like it, they never make these things clear up front. So it also looked like I was going to be paying like a thousand dollars for a colonoscopy. So I was like, mm. if I don't have to do it, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Um, so I didn't get the colonoscopy that month. And so, you know, January comes and goes, symptoms improve, uh, flash forward six months later in June and I'm starting to have symptoms again. Mm. Um, the intense cramping, uh, blood in my stool. Um, and, uh, it didn't, it almost didn't matter what I ate at that time. You'd almost like couldn't eat. And so I was like, okay, this isn't good. Uh, followed up with my GI doctor and she's like, well, you know, you, need to do the stool, you know, test again. It's kind of common protocol. Start with the stool test, um, and infection free. So couldn't say it was an infection Uh anymore. Um, and then she's like, well, you know, you need a colonoscopy. And so I was like, great. Um, and, uh, so the test itself, uh, isn't a big deal, but you have to, (laughs) you have to clear your entire system before you go into for a colonoscopy. Um, yeah. like and drink so, the liquid stuff. Yes. I've never done it. Oh my sounds, goodness. It yeah. Awful. It's interesting because I'd hear stories, um, from older, uh, friends of the family that would talk about drinking like gallons of this awful flavored liquid and, um, the new, uh, Colo prep, I think was the brand of mine that they have is like these two, smaller bottles of liquid and you, you know, you drink one and then you kind of wait, um, it's like six or eight hours and you drink like the second one. Um, and it's less liquid, Oh, okay. but my goodness, aren't they the worst tasting things in the world? I, um, and you can't have anything like purple or red or blue, uh, cause the dyes could impact what they see in the, in the, imaging, mm-hmm. you know, the colonoscopy mm-hmm. is a, you know, just a little camera so they can take pictures and scope out your colon. Yeah. Um, and so you're kind of limited what you can mix with this liquid to kind of help it go down better. So I'm like getting all the crystal light lemonade packets, like actual lemons, like plugging my nose with yeah. cotton balls, drinking from a straw. I mean, if, if there was a list or a blog post out there that said like how to make prepping for a colonoscopy easier. I've probably read it yeah. and I did all the things. You could probably write one at this um, point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I have a picture on my phone too of what I look like with these cotton balls shoved up my nose, drinking this liquid. Oh um, gosh. yeah, I, I was like, I don't want to forget this, even though I really would have wanted to forget, forget it. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then of course it causes you to go to the bathroom until you're legit yeah. empty. So it's also, um, uncomfortable. That experience is just not, that's not comfortable. So imagine anytime you've had, uh, a like stomach virus or something like that. And you've had diarrhea for days. That's, I mean, it's like that, except let's condense it down into 24 hour period. So, 
it's um that's the worst part of a colonoscopy but uh but for, for anyone listening get your colonoscopy it's really not a big deal yeah. once you do it once you realize it's not a big deal and the procedure itself is you know anesthesia yep. take the best nap you've ever had and you know wake up and they you know tell you what's going on in there so totally. um, but my colonoscopy showed uh inflammation in my colon okay. um and so it uh it was indicative of ulcerative colitis basically is that's okay. when i got the diagnosis so it was end of mm. june 2017 mm. um and yeah so yeah how did that land for you when you got um, the news i think that i still remained pretty uh optimistic um from much of what i read it um typically was easily treatable with uh kind of the first line of medications um, you know, prednisone kind of helps control flares, yep. uh, where that's the active period of the disease. You know, we have active inflammation going on. Um, and then there's periods of remission, you know, where you're, uh, there's no inflammation. Um, and kind of the, even when you're in a flare, uh, how bad they are can vary. You know, you can have, uh, some that are absolutely debilitating and others where, you know, you're just, you kind of make some adjustments. Uh, well, to get through it. So, yeah. So I was feeling like, okay, they've, this isn't new. They've got, you know, modern medicine is great. They've got treatments. Um, and so I was feeling okay. Um, I don't know if it hit me how, uh, like life altering it could be at that time. And then ultimately like would be, um, I think I just saw it as like, okay, you know, I can adapt generally could adapt to just about anything. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, started on misalamine is kind of the frontline medication for it. Um, where you kind of take that every day and, uh, and then when you have flares, that's where you have, there's either, um, a drug called, uh, I think it's budesonide. I might okay. be mispronouncing it. Um, but it's a, it is a steroid but it, um, it's a little bit more localized. So it's not quite as, it doesn't come with quite as many side effects as prednisone or, you know, prednisone, um, can cause moon face. It can cause weight gain. Um, it causes bone, uh, deterioration. It causes bone loss over time. Um, so prednisone is like the, the dreaded prednisone. Um, and sometimes you can get on it and, and, with flares, you might not be able to get off of it. So if you're on it for a very long time, it can, it can cause problems. So I suppose if I was ever worried about anything, it was probably pre- prednisone, yeah. um, which is like so silly because of all the things to worry about. That's like, so, yeah. um, uh, I don't know. It yeah. just feels like it's the least of, uh, one's worries could yeah. be spent on, on things that were temporary, you yeah. know? Um, but and so you, um, so you're kind of in this process of just learning all these new medications, kind of learning how to approach this, mm-hmm. learning about ulcerative colitis. Exactly. And then you mentioned that it became life altering. Yes. In what ways did it become life altering? Yeah. So it, um, it was fairly stable of a condition for, um, a year, almost a year and a half. So, you know, that first year it was very much, 
uh, medications are working, um, accepting the new normal of uh, monitoring what seems to send me into a flare, you know, and just kind of, um, and, uh, and so that was fine. Uh, but in October of 2018, I had to get a, um, procedure on my foot for plantar fasciitis. Mm. Um, and there was some confusion on my part of whether to continue my misalamine, which is like an anti-inflammatory inflammation medication, Mm -hmm. uh, for this procedure, because the procedure was to cause inflammation in the heel of your foot, uh, to kind of trigger the, um, inflammatory response to healing in the foot. Cause you know, you Mm. have less circulation in your feet. So oftentimes healing can be very slow. And so I'd been dealing with plantar fasciitis for, um, well over a year and a half at that point. And it was, you know, in that way it was debilitating. So I was like, okay, simple outpatient procedure. Um, I had stopped taking my, um, misalamine for uh, a couple days leading up to the procedure. Um, and then with the procedure, they prescribe, um, oxycodone for pain because Mm -hmm. it's a very painful procedure. And so the most important thing is to just do pain management while you let your body, you know, heal. Um, and, uh, I knew historically, like, uh, anything with, um, codeine in it from getting my wisdom teeth out that I couldn't take like Percocet or, or Oxy. Um, or at least I knew it made me vomit then. I guess I didn't have enough data sure. points to go. I am going to become violently ill on this medication. Um, but no matter what, if I ate or what I did, the oxycodone just made me, made me puke. So, mm. Um, so I got super duper sick taking that, um, to the point that I had to like go back into like the ER to get like fluids and, um, Zofran and medications and stuff. Um, so, but that sent me into a like massive flare. Um, so I, to the point where like, it was just constant, um, really just constant bloody diarrhea. Um, and so, uh, and then I was immobile, right? Because my foot was bandaged up from the, from the procedure I had. Um, so I was mostly laid up on the couch. Uh, here I am in a flare, um, at the time taking birth control. Um, and, uh, and it was, and then of course having ulcerative colitis, I, got pulmonary embolus in my lungs, Mm. uh, which are blood clots. So I got blood clots in both of my lungs, um, which was wild. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not, I don't think it's super common for someone so, so young, um, and otherwise like healthy. Um, so I, yeah, I went into the ER for severe pain in my like lower kind of mid lower back, they, in which they were like, the ER was like, this is a kidney stone. I'm, I'm positive. Uh, so they did imaging um, and just so happened on the uh, image for my kidney, they saw the bottom of my lung. And they were like, uh, well, your kidney's fine, but um, there's really something weird in your lung that we can see. Mm. Uh, we'd like to do a CT of your lungs. And then that's when they saw the multiple blood clots on both sides of my lungs. Wow. And so they're like, we got to get you admitted to the hospital like ASAP. You need to be on blood thinners and, you know, we need to get these resolved yeah. because... 
if at any time you're good rob is over here your husband rob is yeah taking atlas out being such a good dog dad look at him <laughs> <laughs> try to be all quiet over there there we go yeah. <laughs> um so yeah so i had to any of those blood clots could have, um, got, if they grew in size, they could lodge and essentially like kill me. Wow. So, um, so yeah. Uh, so that was a weird thing to reflect on to be yeah. like, Oh, this is like technically a like very deathly occurrence yeah. that happened. Um, but I was in the hospital for a couple of days and, um, they put me on a blood thinner and, they ultimately determined it was provoked, you know, by all of the, the things going on. Uh, I didn't, I learned that was the first time I learned having ulcerative colitis made you more prone to blood clotting. Interesting. Um, so, uh, and I started seeing a hematologist after that experience as well. So the, you know, the specialist list was, was growing, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, so that they could just, you know, run tests and monitor and make sure that I didn't have any underlying, you know, conditions yeah. that, um, maybe I wasn't aware of as far as blood clotting issues. So, um, but yeah, so that experience, uh, started the, just sort of the, the roller coaster, I'll say that kind of ended with the surgery. Okay. Um, so that's kind of what I can like kind of consider that event that just sort of maybe sent my body into yeah. just chaos. Yeah. Um, so where I was just on and off prednisone, for a period of time I could get it under control and then like I would just relapse back into flares. Um, I, um, was able to still like travel for work. Um, but oh my gosh, it was the most nerve wracking experience because flying, um, when you, um, essentially have less control over your bowels like right. ulcerative colitis like when you have to go you have to go yep. um and i don't think people realize that that like you could be hit all of a sudden with a sensation to go when you're in a flare um and like you don't have the option to to wait like you, you gotta get to you the bathroom go. so like being on an airplane i was all i could think about you know, it was the dread of like, oh my gosh, what if I have to go and I can't yeah. because someone's in the bathroom or the seatbelt lights on or, yeah. or I'm in the security line waiting to go through security. And like, I'm, you know, embedded in the middle of the line. Like, what am I going to do? Um, so, uh, so, but I still, I still did it. Uh, oftentimes I would wear adult diapers mm -hmm. when traveling just in mm -hmm. case. Um, but, uh, but I was able to still travel for work and keep, keep working from home. Thankfully I was working from home at the time. Um, yeah. that obviously, uh, helped keep things a little bit more even keel because I could, uh, roll out of bed, like literally roll out of bed onto the couch, work from the couch and then like roll back into bed. You yeah. know, I, uh, um, because with the uh, increased urgency and need to, to poop, I was up every hour and a half, every half hour sometimes. Yeah. Atlas is back. He's like, when am I being interviewed? Yeah, he's like, when am, am I up next? Little Atlas, he's the cutest little guy ever. Yeah, he knows Which, it too. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's like, I'm well aware. Yeah. Well aware of how cute I am. Um, but uh, So you you mentioned a surgery. You're yes. referring to ileostomy. Exactly. Yep. 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 So, and, and so I would imagine 
you know, kind of what, what, um, what led to the point of actually getting that surgery yeah. and deciding to do it. Yep. So from between that, uh, foot procedure in October, 2018, and then June 6, 2019, when I had my surgery, um, I had tried multiple bouts of prednisone. Um, I had gone to the ER and actually even had like IV drips of prednisone, okay. um, because I was in such, you know, severe condition. Um, they, that was also, then you cross the bridge of, okay, well the, uh, kind of first line of meds aren't working. The next line is biologics, um, which are, they come with their own, you know, um, potential side effects or risks. Uh, so that's like a big, a big decision in and of itself is yeah. for a lot of folks with uh, chronic illness where they have biologics that can treat it is to take those. Um, but I was at a point where it, it, there was, it was either try something else or continue to, to suffer. Um, you know, at this point couldn't leave, couldn't leave my house, uh, because you know, pooping my pants was a real thing. Um, Well, and and for a moment, I just the emotional toll of that, I would imagine. Can you kind of bring people into just emotionally what that's, what, what that time was like for you? Yeah, it was, uh, I was just a shell of myself. Um, because, uh, I couldn't do any of the things that were like part of me and who I was. Um, so I, I was probably very depressed and and anxious. Um, I don't know if I had the energy even though Mm -hmm. to, to notice it or realize it. I think I was in complete survival mode Mm -hmm. of just get through the day, get through today. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also think that I leaned a lot on the community the IBD community where there's different, um, there's, you know, Facebook groups, there's, uh, you know, Instagram pages, there's websites dedicated to just a community for folks to talk about it. Um, and I think that's where I could actually like open up and share that I was struggling. But, um, I think I wanted so badly to just be strong, you know, like I think my whole life I've really been conditioned of sorts that like just stay strong, be the strong one. Um, so I think I was very much in like that survival, stay strong. Um, and you know, I think the only person that really probably saw me as low as I was feeling was my, you know, now ex-husband, uh, that, you know, experienced it all. But otherwise, uh, I think on the outward, on the outside, uh, people would often sometimes even say like, oh, I couldn't even tell you were sick. You know, I have uh, colleagues at the time, people I was managing um, that uh, we were like, gosh, Anna, you, I couldn't even tell. Wow. Because, you know, when you have uh, an invisible illness, it's um, very easy to just kind of put on a mask and, yeah. you know, um, obscure your suffering. You don't want to be a burden on other people. You don't want to... Help. Uh, you just don't want to be a, a problem. So, uh, so in a way it's like kind of nice where you're like, okay, great. And at the same time, you're like, oh my gosh, if yeah. you could only see. Well, and I think a lot of people listening will relate to that in some way, an invisible illness, whether that's physical mm-hmm. or a mental illness of some kind. Um, 
it's incredible how we sometimes are able to be feeling one thing on the inside and be projecting something totally different externally oh, to the absolutely. world. It continues to fascinate me. I know. And it's, um, it's a lot of pressure to put, you know, on yourself. Yeah. Um, and you know, in hindsight, uh, I could have leaned on any number of my, you know, family or, um, friends, you know, people that would have loved to, you know, show up and be there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in a way, like I didn't give them the opportunity to, because I just mm. didn't want to, didn't want to be a burden. So, yeah. um, so, you know, if anything I've learned and Alice, Alice is like, go on, go straight Alice is not afraid of asking for help. No, Alice, Alice is, is like, Alice I'm going like, to jump in your lap right? and you're going to pet me. Yes. <laughs> Atlas. We all need to be more like Atlas. <laughs> Atlas the Chewini. The Chewini. Very Chihuahua-esque so of him to, to be like, oh, I need help all need the help time. right now. I'm going to let you know it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, um, I, and again, in hindsight, you know, you learn and it's still a challenge though moving forward to actually still yeah. like open up and, and share uh, with, with others. I want to go back to the, um, the decision to have the surgery. Yes. Cause I know I would imagine there's a lot of people listening to this who are maybe living with ulcerative colitis yes. or maybe in that place of making that decision of, yes. do I have the surgery? Do I not mm-hmm. to kind of weigh yeah. in the pros and cons of that? Yep. Just like you were, what, what, um, was there, was there a moment that you kind of decided I'm going to move forward with this and I'm going to do it? Yeah. I, um, so I had tried Humira, um, and then the doctor had me try Zeljans. Um, and all the while, you know, when you try these meds, mind you, you have to be on them like four to six weeks before you can determine if they're like going to work or not. So sure. you have to wait like six weeks for them to, to fail all the while, like deteriorating because you're not able to really eat or you know, do anything without experiencing intense, you know, pain. Um, so, so after trying Zeljans, um, unfortunately I got, uh, more blood clotting. Mm. Um, I got a couple of blood clots in my arms, which was just like the weirdest thing. Mm. Um, and, uh, of course find out months later that they have to add a box label warning to Zeljans because it, turns out I'm probably not the only one that ever got blood clots from that. But, um, but anyhow, I had, I had gotten to the point where all the medications had failed. I was barely living. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, barely surviving. Um, I was withering away, you know, uh, just over a hundred pounds, you know, at five foot five, uh, athletic build, right. Always, a enjoyed weightlifting, playing soccer, you know, so, um, so that was very, um, skeletal. Um, I kind of realized that I could continue the path of trying these medications and failing, but, uh, fighting against just the dwindling energy and existence. Um, so when, 
my GI was like, well, you know, in your case, when a condition has gotten to this point where it's not responding to prednisone, it's not responding to biologics, uh, you know, surgery is the next step. Mm. Uh, and I was just like anything. Yeah. Just, I, I just can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't go on living this way. This isn't living at all. Yeah. Um, and I think what also helped was that even when I was generally like stable with the condition, I had started following folks in the community uh, on Instagram that had ulcerative colitis and I had witnessed one or two of them get ileostomies as well. And they were very um, open, very honest. And I think it gave me like an idea of what it could be like. And so in that way, um, they had helped me kind of accept like, okay, this is okay. You know, living with an ileostomy is living, you know, an ileostomy can give you your life back, you know, an ileostomy sure comes with changes in and of itself. But if the alternative is what I was experiencing with ulcerative colitis, um, which wasn't living at all. I was like, I'll take an adjusted, you know, life with yep. an ileostomy, whatever that adjusted life is. Cause at that point I obviously didn't know what it would be like for me. Yep. Um, because they also emphasize that everyone's experience with an ileostomy can be so different, yeah. you know? So, you know, so with my experience I'm sharing today too, you know, I have to say it's also mine. And, um, while there's certainly things you can do, um, mm-hmm. I'm still looking at even some other, you know, uh, ostomates is what they call mm, each other. And those ostomates. Are, uh, with whether you have a colostomy or ileostomy, you know, or your ostomate, yeah. um, who can live a little bit differently than I do or can eat things that I can't necessarily eat. Mm. So, um, but uh, by and large, it uh, is has been, you know, just a wonderful thing for me and it ends up being a wonderful thing for others too. Yeah. So. And I know some people listening um, have never heard of an ileostomy before and are kind of wondering what that is. What is an ileostomy for those who have never heard of it? Yeah, so um, the surgery is uh, a total proctocolectomy. And so they remove the entirety of your large intestine um, and they remove your rectum and your anus. Mm -hmm. And so then they actually end up sewing up your butt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes they'll say you have a Barbie butt. Mm, um, because, Very timely with the, yeah, with the movie. Yeah. I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, so, and yeah, and then you have um, a the end of your ileum, which is the end of your small intestine. Uh, they kind of have a little hole um, in like the right side of your lower abdomen in what's called a stoma. Um, and that's essentially where poop comes out from now on. Yep. Um, and you have no, there's no control over it. You don't have a sphincter or anything in that part of your intestine. So, um, so it just goes, I mean, it does what's happening inside your body right now, or as food passes through your yep. ileum for, you know, a, uh, what I like to say, an anatomically complete person, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's flowing into your colon and then your colon is going to do what it does. Okay, we just had some technical issues. My SD card filled up, but it did not delete our interview. So that's great news. Mm-hmm. So we're going to pick back up where we were talking about how going to the bathroom 
not something that you can control after the surgery. Exactly. Exactly. So I don't have physical control over when I poop or, you know, when I fart. Um, so, you know, really the only thing I can do to influence that is, you know, when I eat or when I choose to eat or, um, or some folks will eat marshmallows actually, uh, sometimes to slow their digestion. Oh, interesting. Um, you know, cause changing the bag, um, and we can, you know, talk about that as much or as little as you want, but you know, you can, some people change it, uh, multiple times a week. Some people as little as once a week. Okay. Um, cause you know, with an ileostomy, you can empty it into the toilet, you know, versus a colostomy is uh, different. So they don't have that, that, um, ability to do that. So, okay. um, but I change my bag, you know, once, maybe twice a week when it's extra humid out. Okay. Um, so, you, but you empty it regularly it, during the day, mm-hmm. during the day you're, you're always okay. like emptying it. Yeah. I'm but con- then actually physically changing the bag. Yes, exactly. Okay. It's only like once or twice a week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, as the bag, you know, fills up, uh, throughout the day or, you know, the night, um, I am kind of cognizant of, you know, kind of how full it is. And when it gets to a certain point, you know, it's advisable to empty it, you know, to avoid, you know, a bag rupture or basically an appliance malfunction is what that would be, you know. Um, But, you know, I find myself emptying it maybe four, five times a day max, uh, which compared to going to the bathroom like 20 plus times a day when... Um, when you're sick is nothing. And usually I end up emptying it when I just go pee anyway. So, um, so it doesn't feel like a special trip is needed unless I'm like extremely hypersensitive to my bag filling up. You know, if I'm wearing like tight clothing, um, the first time I, uh, went back uh, traveled to San Francisco for work and worked out of an office. Uh, I was really like self-conscious about if people could see it. So when it would get even remotely full and I thought it looked like there was a bulge on my shirt, I would, at that point I'd empty it a whole lot more. Um, so that's been a part of the journey too, you know, as adapting to it. But, uh, but for the most part, you know, it's, it's a four to five times a day kind of thing. And, you know, maybe once during the night, um, I've, tried to uh, change eating habits too to try to get a full night's sleep but yeah because that's one thing I've noticed from hanging out with you is you have to be really mindful about what kind of food you eat yes because your your body can't digest or process certain foods yes exactly so yeah so thankfully the small intestine is uh, responsible for absorbing all of your uh, nutrients Um, so I don't have a problem getting nutrients uh, but the large intestine is what's responsible for absorbing the majority of the water that you, you know, we all absorb to hydrate uh, and breaking down all the, the roughage, the fiber, the, the nuts, the, you know, all of the, um, the good, you know, healthy foods. And the large intestine is what you do not have. Exactly. Yes. So unfortunately, um, I can't digest a lot of things. Um, they just pass straight through me basically. And, Mm -hmm. you know, right through into the bag, you know, just as you can imagine it, you know, it comes out exactly as it goes in. So, um, I have to chew basically, uh, is the only way that I can break down those foods. So, Mm. um, 
So something is only going to be as broken down as I can pulverize it into oblivion by chewing. And you've had this now for how long? Four years was this past June. Okay. Uh, So yeah, a little over four years. How would you describe kind of where you're at today as far as just embracing yeah. That this is something that you live with. Yeah, I think generally in a good place, um, you know, I'm able to do all the things. Um, so from a physical activity standpoint, you know, I play soccer. Um, I was at the beach, you know, a couple weeks ago, and I was actually out there body surfing. Cool. Uh, probably not the, the wisest thing. A wave definitely crashed me into the ground, and I... Uh, my bag started to come off a little bit and I was like, well, okay, that was the last wave I catch today. Um, but that was okay. It was worth it. Um, and, uh, so that's great. Um, from an eating standpoint, I have been able to eat all the things. Um, my husband's been fantastic. He's cooked some things for me. So I've had a chance to eat things that I hadn't eaten since before my surgery like mushrooms, one of my favorite things. Um, and they just, they do not digest at all. So mushrooms are something I have to be extremely, um, careful with. Mm -hmm. Um, but he has, uh, blended them up and made like mushroom ravioli for me. It was one of the first things that I had with mushrooms. And, uh, yes, it was, it was delicious. And, uh, it's just the flavor the first time of eating a mushroom again, after years of not having them, I was just like, this is incredible. So, um, so that's been fun, um, that, uh, that he's made it a point to kind of help reintroduce some of my favorite foods to me because yeah. before surgery, I lived on salads and fresh fruit and vegetables and yeah. all the fibrous food. So, uh, that's been difficult to yeah. adjust to, um, you know, not to be able to sit down and, uh, eat a handful of grapes because the skins would cause me problems. Yeah. So. Well, and just the, what, what I hear in that is like how many of us walk around and take for granted the fact that we can yes. just eat a mushroom. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and I would imagine something like this has a way of really putting some of those really simple joys into perspective. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I mean, I never, when I thought about, um, like mindful eating before this, it was very different, right? It was like eating to fuel your body, eating to achieve a certain physique, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And, um, or maybe even eating because you have allergies, food allergies Mm -hmm. or food sensitivities. Uh, But I never thought about eating what kind of way because your body can't digest it. Uh, so that was the new a new one and it catches people off guard from time to time too. I think, um, when they'll be like, Oh, is there anything you can't eat? Um, and I might, you know, describe it simply cause to me, I'm like, Oh, I can't have raw vegetables or nuts. Um, but someone doesn't realize, Oh wait, that, that means, you know, you yeah. like really can't yeah. eat it. And, and, uh, like anything in those families are adjacent, you know, can't eat. So, but it is a hard thing to tell people too. So, um, so I think I still kind of, yeah. uh, I'm finding 
that balance of how to introduce people to it. Yeah. Um, well, what's interesting is, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you talked about like not wanting to be a burden mm-hmm. before when you were struggling. And I'm wondering how much that shows up for you now, just as far as going to dinner somewhere and having to explain to people I can't eat certain things mm-hmm. or always kind of having that in the back of your mind of what's going on with your ileostomy bag. And Oh, yeah. Like, cause you, cause you literally could be sitting, talking to somebody and be essentially going to the bathroom absolutely. in your bag. Oh, absolutely. So there's always this kind of, seems like there would just be always this thing happening that you're aware of. Absolutely. Where other people around you are not, a, they have no idea exactly. of what's going on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I definitely struggle still with not wanting to burden others with it. Um, Rob's been fantastic at encouraging me to uh, not just be afraid to, you know, ask for the, if we go out to eat, for them to adjust something, you know, Um, making it like, okay, if I'm like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom again, you know, because, you know, you have your coffee or tea in the morning and it makes you have to poop well i have my coffee or tea in the morning and guess what it makes me (laughs) makes me have to poop still too it just oftentimes will go you know straight through my bag and you know have almost straight up liquid in there and so i'll have to maybe empty it a couple extra times if i have something like coffee or tea or or another uh essentially you know diuretic like that so yeah well so it's it's almost like it almost forces you. It sounds like to advocate for yourself, Absolutely. Like you don't really have a choice. It's true. And it, because it's hard, you know, it's hard to do that to learn how to do that. But something like this, it seems like would almost be just this like accelerator of, yeah. you have no choice. Yeah, it, it is because it's easier when people know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I learned very early or maybe I just embraced it early to, share it with people, Yeah, you know, um, the first time, you know, maybe someone would be like, Oh, well, what can you eat or can't you eat? I'd be like, Oh, well I have an ileostomy and this means this. And, yeah. um, and sometimes, you know, people ask follow up questions and sometimes people are like, Oh, okay. And you can tell they don't really, you know, understand, but it doesn't matter, you know? Um, yeah. so, uh, yeah, it, it definitely makes living with an ileostomy easier when it's just known because mm. even if my bag is like slightly full i honestly would feel more comfortable if people just kind of knew what it was right. uh than this feeling of like someone kind of looking at you like oh what's that yeah. you know um but uh but i think it, it uh i've also forced myself out of my comfort zone at times with that too like sure. wearing the bikini at the pool I think the first time I wore a swimsuit after surgery wasn't until three years after surgery. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I put a swimsuit on. Um, and it was like a tankini, so I did cover it up. Yep. Um, but the very next time I was by a pool, I was like, I'm wearing the bikini. Yep. I'm doing it. Who cares? Um, and it was fine. Yep. It was totally fine. Yep. Uh, I'm sure I got looks at the pool. Uh, but my tattoos, people are often 
mm. looking at me anyway with the mm. look of like, oh, what is what is that? So you know, add it to the list. Of, sure, <laughs> of, sure. Of things, um, and uh, and yeah, I've just rolled with it. My uh, sister-in-law at the beach uh, recently was like, "Gosh, that's so great that you just wear the bikini and you just don't care." And I kind of reflected on it, and I was like, "Gosh, you know, I I do care. Mm. I just." show up anyways for myself mm. because the best thing I can do is wear the bikini and just put myself out there and yep. live my life. You know, life's too short to spend time, you know, hating yourself, picking yourself apart, not wearing the bikini, not wearing the shorts, yeah. you know, you name it, list of things. There's a myriad of reasons why people aren't wearing bikinis on the beach. You know, That's I've had, so reasons not to in the past, uh, you know, with, um, body dysmorphia mm -hmm. and all kinds of issues there. But, um, but I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not going back there. So, so yeah, I just, but it does, it makes me nervous. I mean, when I'm, when my bag starts to fill up and I'm wearing a bikini in public and there is no yep. obfuscating what's happening. So if anyone kind of notices it yeah. um you're like yeah that's a that's a bag of of poop yeah so and it's is, yeah. a little unnerving but well and, and even as you're saying this it's it's fun it's interesting to me how we we take these bodily functions that every single one of us experience and we we like place so much like shame on them yeah like i mean it, like you said before all of us poop mm -hmm. every single one of us yeah on this planet, poop. Yep. And isn't it interesting how we have taken that and we have turned it into like this thing that's we're never supposed to talk about, nobody's yep. supposed to know about. And I would imagine going through what you've gone through, it just kind of places that even more at the forefront. Where it's oh, like, absolutely. Like you're kind of forced to have conversations about poop. Absolutely. With people. Mm -hmm. And it, I, I just think it, and this spreads over into so many other areas of being human where it's like all these things that we are all experiencing and we are all maneuvering day in and day out, but we just, for some reason, feel like we're not supposed to talk about them. Exactly. And it creates so much suffering. It does. Cause we're all yeah. feeling like there's, we have to do it in these like dark hidden corners where mm -hmm. nobody else sees it. Right. It's amazing. The connection you can achieve with people too, when you create a little space to be human. You're right. You know, I think with some people having an ileostomy and forcing that, you know, poop conversation, yeah, uh, it almost does instantly create space for both parties or all parties, however, you know, yeah. I'm surrounded with, uh, to just be yourself, be human, yeah. you know, uh, perfect imperfections yes. and all, you know. And I love what you talked about with that, that difference between... It's not that you don't feel the insecurity. It's that you feel the insecurity and you choose to show yes, up anyway. Exactly. It's a huge distinction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because a lot of us are waiting get, and can get caught in that cycle of, I need to wait until I don't feel insecure to do the thing. Absolutely. But th that's a recipe for sitting around our whole life. Absolutely. And not, and not doing things that we want to be doing. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's always going to be something that we're insecure about, unsure about, feeling doubt over yep. that could hold us back, like you said, indefinitely for the rest yep. of our lives. 
Um, but giving yourself a chance, you know, move through it, feel it, feel insecure and do the thing anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's probably been something that's helped me in numerous ways in my life. And I think that, uh, I was entering my thirties in a better mental place than I had probably been in all of my uh, younger years, you know, teens and 20s. Um, I kind of went through my own um, mindfulness journey to embrace myself, find myself uh, right around the time of like 30. And it was probably perfectly timed. It's, It's like somehow the universe prepared me for this you know like at the the height of probably my mental health my physical health started to be the thing that was uh shaky and so I was actually probably in a better position to accept and move through the physical wow limitations and and uh chaos yeah because at least like mentally I was uh, able to accept, you know, my anxiety, to accept uh, depression, to accept um, insecurities, you know, to accept my body, all the things that I had struggled with and that had absolutely held me back for so long. So, um, so I'm thankful for that. And I think it emphasizes the importance of caring for your mental health as a part of the physical health journey, you know, the all around well-being, mm-hmm. um, because, well, I kind of think like, imagine what we're all capable of if we can like be at peak physical health and peak mental health, you right. know I mean? And when I say peak mental health, I don't even mean like the, the absence of mental health problems. That's not a thing. That'll never be a thing for, for me. Um, but I was equipped with the, uh, awareness and the tools to, um, to move through it in a healthy way. I guided you through that really deep physical struggle. Yeah. You know, and even, you know, peak physical health doesn't have to be, you know, absence of growth or desires yeah. to change or or no issues you know it just is for you you know for each individual the functional uh yeah. existence there so what is um what does peak peak mental health look like to you i know you kind of touched yeah. on it there but i'm curious to go a little deeper yeah that. uh for me it was recognizing that i could love myself and want to improve myself at the same time. Mm. It was recognizing that hating myself wasn't serving anyone, especially myself. Um, So I think it really started with loving myself uh, in the presence of all of the, the things. Yeah. Um, 
because, you know, loving myself didn't mean that I didn't harbor negative thoughts or negative emotions. Uh, but I would feel those emotions as instead of just being yeah. them. Yep. So, um, so I think having that, that perspective is what I'd say would be that peak mental Beautiful. health. Um, yeah. And what, what sitting here right now today, what do you love about yourself? Oh gosh. It, it honestly probably is my perspective, my, what I call relentless optimism, mm. um, which isn't, isn't just being positive for the sake of being positive or ignoring the negative. It's not this toxic positivity that I feel like, you know, we can run into at times. I think it's recognizing that things are challenging and that there is and will be a way through it. Um, so I think that that's, an attitude that's helped me professionally. It's helped me personally. It is something that I feel I offer to my family and friends. And so it's something that I can truly look at myself and say, okay, I appreciate this about myself. Beautiful. Is there anything that you want to say to somebody who maybe was, is right now in your, in the shoes that you were in? Sure. Like right before surgery or struggling. Just that surgery is okay. Mm. You don't have to suffer indefinitely. Um, Ileostomy surgery truly gave me my life back from ulcerative colitis. And while it's not for everyone, I want people to look at it as not necessarily a last resort to be like avoided at all costs Mm -hmm. because I think some people delay it and suffer for so long yeah um my disease was active really two and a half years before I needed surgery yeah Um, which, you know, part of that time was the most miserable time ever. And some people have had this condition since their youth. You know, some folks have been struggling through very severe flares Mm -hmm. for decades. And still the thought of living with an ileostomy is just the worst possible thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Which, again, when I think of suffering with ulcerative colitis, that was the worst thing in the world. Mm -hmm. So if I could just shed some light on it, some awareness that it's okay. People are very accepting. You know, it's, uh, it works very well. You're not limited. It's not gross. Yeah. (laughs) It's just poop. It's poop. (laughs) That's the... That's the title of this podcast. Right? It's just poop. It's just poop. Or you can still wear the bikini. You can. Wear the bikini. Wear the bikini. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that should be, that's like a tagline. The uh, proverbial bikini 
for all of us. Where are the bikinis? Well, yeah, right. Yeah, and whatever that, yeah, whatever that thing is, right? For for somebody listening, is yeah, it's like that representation of the thing that's on the other side of maybe some discomfort. Exactly. Yep. It's like removing the mask, bring the real you, poop mm-hmm. bag and all. Poop bag and all. So. Well, I love you, poop bag and all. <laughs> <laughs> However, you're showing up, and um, what a gift. Yeah, to, to hear you. your story and um, it's a gift to call you my friend. Mm. We've been through a lot together. We absolutely have. And um, I'm just grateful for you. Yeah, thank you. Same goes to you. So thank you for the opportunity to raise awareness, yeah. uh, pay it forward to uh, others. Um, yeah. yeah, it's been a great experience. Beautiful. And we'll link up to... Um, I'm sure there's some resources out there that maybe have been really helpful for you. Absolutely. I'll, um, I'll link up to some of those in the show notes of this episode too. Great. So people who are listening, if they want to dive more into this and learn more about it, they can. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. all right, my friend, love you. Love you. Also, just a reminder that this podcast is not meant to replace work with a therapist. And so if you feel you need it, I encourage you to reach out to a trained mental health professional. All right, we'll talk soon.